Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Hey, would anybody like to share just a word of uh, testimony, a uh, word of encouragement, maybe something God's placed on your heart? Uh, maybe going on in your life that you just like to share with the congregation. We do this every so often, maybe in the evening service, not as much in our morning service, but if you would, just put your hand up. If not, I'll call on somebody. So that, that could be worse, right? Anybody want to just share a word of testimony or something? Is God doing anything in anybody's life, impressed upon you anything that, yes, Marie, that, Lord bless you. Thank you. Yeah, well, um, I've kind of been having some challenges and, and all I can say is God's timing is perfect when I need encouragement. Um, or prayer, or a call from somebody, it's there. So I have been diagnosed with pulmonary fibrosis, and that's about all I know right now. So yeah. thank you for your prayers. Good. And I love my church family. Thanks, Maureen. And tell everybody who your guests are here today. We, I know they've been here before. This so week. we have um, Murad and Kamish Karimi, Karimi from Turkmenistan with us. Yes. They're Good. here for Sharon's graduation, for um, completion of her dental hygienist program, and her marriage in August. Good, good. Good to have you with us. Thank you for being here. It's good to have you here. Anybody else? Make me walk back here. Mary Erskine. Can you guys pass that, Mary? Well, I'm thankful today is my birthday. Amen. <laughs> and um, that I have my family here that you all hear about so often from Tokyo, and I'm glad they can hear, be here for my birthday. And I thank you for all of you, my church family, also. Good. Thanks, Mary. All right. All right. All right. Anybody else? Come on now. Some of you want to share a word this morning? Down front. Way down front. Where are we going? Come on. Put your hand up. Or just stand up. That would be a lot easier if you just stand up so I can see you. All right. Paul. Pass that to Paul, will you? Thanks, Paul. I just want to say that... Uh, I think this is pretty awesome. I can't remember the last time I was in a church service where they actually asked people for input from <laughs> the congregation. I think that's really awesome, don't you think? <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Paul. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Paul. Julio. Anybody on the way? I'll get down in just a minute, Julio. But I'm going to stop here by Mirtha. <laughs> It's on. I'm in the process of moving to an assisted living, huh. and I want to praise God for all for the way that all the pieces are coming together. The timing and the place I'm moving is wonderful, and people have been so great in helping me. And so I do want to thank God for all the blessings. Good. Thanks, Martha. Thank you so much. Do you want to say something, Naomi? Well, here, use the microphone, okay, so we can hear you. What's that? Change your mind. Okay. All right. That's okay. that's okay. Next time. Next time. Okay. That's fine, Naomi. Well, Carmen. people are introducing their visitors, yes. I'll just make sure Thielen is thoroughly embarrassed. He's visiting us from Slovenia. Hey, stand up for just a minute. Oh, so stand, stand up. Stand up. There we go. <laughs> say, that, say that again. He's visiting from Slovenia. So I have um, relatives who live in Slovenia, and 25 years ago they had a his mom, Katya, come spend a summer with me, and then I spent a summer with her. So 25 years later, the second generation arrived for a visit. Good. <laughs> so he's spending a month here. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and it's Eva's birthday today. 
What's that? It's also Eva's birthday. Today. It's Eva's birthday. All right, Eva. <laughs> okay, Julio, I didn't forget about you. Is that you? All right. Uh, good morning, everybody. Good morning. I am taking this opportunity to remind you this is the 4th of July uh, weekend. Let's not forget the greatness of this country, the, the freedoms we have in, in this country. If you, if you ever see the voice of the martyrs, you'll see how free we are to worship in this country and how great this country still is. There's a lot of work to be done in this country to change this country. You can change this country. Only God can change this country. But we live in, the, in a great country, and let's celebrate the 4th of July being patriotic as you can be, because this is a great country. This is our country. I love this area here. I, I've almost been here almost almost 60 years in the, in the Washington State, so I love this area. And I love the country. And I'd like to celebrate and um, not forget the freedoms that we enjoy in this country because of our founder, our founder for the sacrifices. Well, thank you. Good, Julio. And God bless you. All right. Thank you, Julio. <laughs> Thanks, Julio. And Julio's home, where he grew up, I think, is right near the camp, uh, where last week we had uh, baby dedication with the Alessias. And I think your home was right near the camp there, wasn't it, where they, where they served there in Puerto Rico, where you grew up? Yeah. Caribe. Yeah, good. Okay. One down the way. Okay, anybody else before I... There we go, Gretchen. Thank you very much. Well, I had the privilege of teaching Sunday school. It's been <laughs> a long time. Um, kids going into fourth grade up to seventh grade. And um, they were delightful. Uh, we learned about the, the mustard seeds, small as this dot of my finger, and how grow and we're growing our faith. And I have to tell you, these children are bright, very intelligent, very engaged, and their faith is huge already. Good. Thank you, Gretchen. Okay. Well, last chance. Anybody else? Are you waving your hand? Oh, wait. Okay, Sharon. She wants to see if Pastor Jim still can walk this far. <laughs> yeah. Yes. yes right. Well, of course, I am so thankful for my sons and my daughter-in-laws and two uh, grandbabies. Um, very, very thankful for that. <clears throat> um, this week, I had a visit with one of my doctors who's from Turkey, and he was just talking. We were talking about the 4th of July, and he said, you know, I think sometimes um, as immigrants, it's more important to us than it is to you guys. And he said, I think it's our duty to celebrate what you have here in America. And um, that just meant a lot to me, to remember our freedom that we have, um, not only to worship, but to be thankful for what God has given us. Good. Thank you, Sharon. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Linda. Can you pass, please pass my Linda? Good day. Can you pass it down there? Thank you. I just want to encourage you. Uh, I've just been recently been reading the scriptures in a different version. It's not actually a translation, but it's a paraphrase. And the it's like the word has come alive to me all over again. And I've just been reading in John. And just amazing how, you know, God is light. And it just, one verse just struck me to the heart, just pierced me how 
we were once in the darkness, but now we're in the light. And that just struck me how, you know, we used to wander around in the darkness, not really knowing what to do and who we were and what God wanted of us. But now we're in the light. It's just a blessing. Good. Thanks, Linda. Thank you very much. Amen's right. Good. You know, I can relate to, uh, I'll turn this off. Thanks, Mike. I can relate to that, Linda. I remember in 19, I don't know, 69 or 70, our youth group was up at um, Baker Chalet up in, um, with our youth group uh, up in the Mount Baker area, obviously. And everybody was skiing. And I didn't ski. And I always had an excuse. I said, I can't ski because uh, the basketball coach doesn't want us to hurt our knees and won't let us ski. And everybody, everybody bought that, you know. <laughs> um, and uh, so I was sitting in a chalet all by myself. Everybody was off on skiing. And I picked up J.B. Phillips' translation of the New Testament. It's a paraphrase. And I just sat down and started reading it. And I read the entire Gospel of John start to finish. I'd never done that before. And it was just an impactful time in my life. I just, it just, all of a sudden, it was so real. It was just so real. Um, and it's good to do that sometimes. Maybe read from a different translation. Uh, ever take a book and just read it start to finish just to read it. And, uh, it was really made an impact on my life. And I had some of the same thoughts. I know what some of, some of you are probably thinking, all right, Pastor Jim hasn't got much to say today, so he's just stalling for time. <laughs> but that's not true. <clears throat> but I um, just thought it'd be good. We haven't done that for a while. Just share some testimonies, and it's always good to hear the. And I encourage you. You know, we have our our bodybuilder that comes out every month. We have our prayer and praise, and our class uh, opportunities to share. And just continue to share with one another. Share what God's doing. Share uh, the struggles you're going through, the challenges, the blessings. Share them with your family and with one another. And we're going to spend a few minutes now in God's Word. And uh, let's pray together. Father, as we open your word, we pray that our hearts will be open to your word and we will hear you and your voice this morning. And we thank you for the um, the accounts, the, the historical accounts of individuals who walked by faith, men and women who trusted you and put their lives in your hands. And may that be an encouragement and a challenge to us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This past year, as you know, of course, um, we traveled to uh, the Holy Land, Israel and Jordan. And one of the things that impacted me as we were traveling different spots and kind of reflected on was the, the various stories of faith. You know, as you go and visit a site and you recall it and you read the scriptures, and it kind of comes alive a little bit different. And, and the stories of faith, of people who live by faith and walk by faith and put their lives in God's hands. Um, some of those stories came out great. Other ones not so great, as we read in uh, in Hebrews about the the Hall of Fame of faith, and you get toward the end, he talks about those who were killed and martyred and sawn in half and walked around in sheepskins and so forth. We don't even know their names, but these are people who walked and lived by faith. One of the places that uh, we tra- let me turn the lights on a little bit. One of the places that, of course, we travel to is always your first stop when you go to uh, Israel. It seems like is uh, Caesarea, or as uh, our guide kept pronouncing it. Uh, Caesarea, Caesarea, Caesarea. Um, it's obviously it's a it's a city that uh, King Herod built. The thing that's kind of unique about us, one of the few places that we visit that's on the Mediterranean coast, and uh, we got to walk out there at, at night before we went up there when we were in Tel Aviv. And the Mediterranean is the Mediterranean. You know, you think of uh, France, Spain, Northern Africa, Greece. It's a beautiful ocean. 
And, uh, and it's a beautiful in Israel, on the west coast of Israel. The Mediterranean runs, of course, the whole length of the nation of Israel up to Lebanon, around the northern part. And, uh, but when you go there today, of course, you visit what, what at one time was Caesarea, Caesarea. And of course, today it's ruins pretty much, okay? And, but it's historical and archaeological and it's very interesting. But you have to use your imagination a little bit. To think like any place you go, where you have to think about what would this have looked like in its prime, because Herod was a tremendous builder, and everything he built was beautiful. He didn't build anything second class. And um, and a couple areas we're going to this area up here by the by the port. Um, this was the, the probably the largest port outside of Athens at the time in that area. And then down here where his palace was. So, so here's like a, a, an artist. This is what it looked like. This is the area up there by the port. And this is the temple he built with the stairs going right down the course to the harbor where the ships would come in. There was really, there's really not a lot of good natural harbors on the coast of Israel. And so he built this harbor and it protected with a wall around it that they poured concrete literally and they had this wall around it, protected the ships. But this is probably what it maybe looked like during the time of Herod the Great. Um, this is the area on the other side I showed you, and this is the end of the Hippodrome. This is the very southern part, and right about there, you can barely see it on this where you're sitting, but right about there, there is a plaque uh, over here because this was Herod's palace, and the plaque reads uh, in Hebrew on one side and English on the other, for if I be offender or have committed anything unworthy of death, I refuse not to die. But if there be none of these things, whereof these, these accuse me, uh, no man may deliver me unto them. I appeal unto Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with the council, answered, Hast thou appealed unto Caesar? Unto Caesar thou shalt go. And on the morrow, when next chapter, when King Agrippa was come, and Bernice, with great pomp, and was entered into the palace, the place of hearing, with the chief captains and principal men of the city, just Festus' commandment, Paul was brought before them. At the bottom it says, The Apostle Paul, accused of causing a riot, was sent to Caesarea to be tried by the governor. Being a Roman citizen, Paul demanded to be heard at the emperor's court. He sailed to Rome from the Caesarea harbor, and there he was tried, and a few years later executed. Well, there's different opinion on some on logistics, but that plaque is there because it was at this place. This was uh, Herod's, an artist's conception of Herod's palace. That plaque is right about there. That this was Herod's palace where Paul had this hearing, and as a result of it, spent two entire years as prisoner, but really more under detainment, under house arrest, if you will. He couldn't leave the city. He probably couldn't leave Herod's palace because the, the areas where the, those kept of prisoners was kept in that area where the trees are back there. Where that, the, well, actually, he may have actually been up here more in Herod's palace itself. This was the area where the court, where the court hearing took place. And, Herod's, and Paul spent two years of his life in this beautiful place, of every place in Israel that, that Paul could have been and spent two years, if uh, you wanted to spend uh, two years vacation in uh, Palestine at that time, Caesarea was the place to be. That's why Pilate lived there. Pilate only went to Jerusalem and he absolutely had to go there. And uh, Pilate lived there. The governors lived there. It was the Roman seat of power. 
Herod built a beautiful seaside city, and the Apostle Paul spent two years there, unfortunately, under house arrest, when he would have rather been out doing his work. So I'd like to ask you to turn your Bibles to this account this morning. And we're going to, and I know it's Fourth of July. I know it's Fourth of July weekend, and I want to tie this in a little bit to some of our thoughts. Appreciate what some of you shared about um, the privilege of living in our country. Uh, our country is not perfect and never has been and never will be because it's a human institution. But our country has uh, contributed many, many wonderful things to this world and to our lives that we are so thankful that we can gather today without harassment, without fear. There are pastors doing exactly what I'm doing right now today who know, they know that they, there's a good chance they could be arrested and put in jail, and some even lose their lives for simply doing what I'm doing today, and I never give a thought to that. When I get up Sunday morning, it never even occurs to me. I never even give a thought that uh, someone is going to, my life would be in danger, or someone would try and stop me from speaking to you and from you gathering to worship. We are truly a blessed people that we have this freedom. I want to connect this a little bit with Paul's story. And the story, we're going to have to skim kind of a little bit some of these uh, passages here, but if you look at, um, we begin in chapter 23 of Acts. Oh, incidentally, you may have noticed that we have Bibles on the ends of the pews, uh, most part, not right up front here, but toward the back. And those are NIV new, uh, Bibles, New International Version, and they're just there for you to use. If you, if you don't have a Bible with you, you're welcome to use it. If you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to take it. Okay? We want them to be used. And uh, if you know someone that needs a Bible, you're welcome to take it. We'll we'll replace it. Um, so that's something new we have here. They're just on the ends of each row, though. And uh, so feel free to use those. Acts chapter 23. In Acts chapter 23, Paul has been at Jerusalem. And, of course, there are those who want to end what he is doing. They're, you know, within his own context, his own Jewish context, the believers are all Jewish. This idea that, you know, the Jews are the Christ killers and this, you know, that, that is not biblical in the sense that everything about what's happening is Jewish. Jesus was Jewish. Paul was Jewish. All the apostles were Jewish. All the believers, thousands of them. This, this movement is growing and they are Jewish and they, they, they see themselves as part of Judaism. They see themselves as, as those who have been embracing the Messiah who has come and the king who has come and who will soon bring his kingdom back to earth. And uh, But the message is now going out to the Gentile world as well. And Paul has been given this message to preach this message to the church, the body of Christ, for Jew and Gentile. It's, it's a simple message. It's not complicated. It's simply that Jew and Gentile come together now equally with access to God through simple faith in Jesus Christ apart from any works of the Mosaic Law. Jews don't have to, don't have to give up the law. They can, Gentiles won't have to embrace the law. What they have to both embrace is Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? As Savior and through simple faith in Him. And they are part of this new humanity, this new people of God, the church, the body of Christ. And Paul is causing all sorts of controversy because he has been called to take this message. He comes back to Jerusalem and the controversy explodes. And there are those who want to get rid of Paul. Although there are those who who feel like he's destroying Judaism, and they and they bring him before the Sanhedrin, and they, they try to have a trial, they try to accuse, and, 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 and the Romans take him away because they know that his life is in danger. 
and they whisk him off to Caesarea because they've, they've heard of a plot via his nephew that there are those who have taken an oath. They will not eat or drink till Paul is dead. And they plan to kill him. Paul is a Roman citizen. We know that from earlier in the book of Acts in chapter 16 where Paul's at Philippi. He is arrested for the exact same thing. He is causing uh, a commotion in the city. And he is arrested. He is put in jail. He and Silas, they are beaten, beaten severely. And they are put in stocks and they are held there. And of course, as the earthquake takes place and and they are released, and the jailer says, what must I do to be saved? And Paul says, what? I bet you know, say to me, believe the Lord Jesus Christ. Come on, say it with me. And thou shalt be saved. Simple message. And and when they try to free him, Paul says, no, you can't, you can't get rid of us that easy. We are Roman citizens. And everybody falls back like, you didn't, you didn't tell us that. Well, you never asked. Because these guys were in Big trouble for punishing a Roman citizen without a fair trial. It was huge. And they said, Paul, we're sorry. Please leave. Leave. Get out of town. You know, he was a Roman citizen. And and again, in Acts chapter, and maybe this story had followed Paul. And so the Romans aren't about to let this happen. And they take Paul. They whisk him off. They bring him to Caesarea, Caesarea, to Caesarea, to Herod's palace. And they bring him there. And it's there where Felix, who happens to be the governor at this time, receives this message. In fact, they, they take a whole army. You look at this in chapter 23. Then they called two of his centurions and said, get ready a detachment of 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea at nine tonight. Provide mounts for Paul. Take him there. I mean, it's the whole army to take the apostle Paul. <laughs> Think of that. To take the Apostle Paul safely to Caesarea. Talk about an armed guard. And they get halfway there where they get past the most dangerous part. And some of the soldiers then are allowed to go back. And they take him there to Governor Felix, who's in Caesarea, who was the governor of Palestine at that time. And here's the, here's the message. Verse 27. This man was seized by the Jews. They were about to kill him. I came with my troops and I rescued him. For I learned that he is a Roman citizen. I wanted to know why they were accusing him, so I brought him to Sanhedrin. I found out that the accusations had to do with questions about their law, but there was no charge against him that deserved death or imprisonment. I was informed of a plot to be carried out against the man. I sent him to you at once, and I also ordered his accusers to be present to present their case against him. And the soldiers, carrying out their orders, took Paul with them during the night, and they brought him as far as Antipatris, the next day, the Calvary home, you go down in verse 33, they handed Paul over to him. The governor read the letter. He asked him where he was from. And he says, I'll hear your accusers when they get here. And he ordered that Paul was kept under guard in Herod's palace, right there on the Mediterranean coast. Paul is kept under guard. Five days later, he comes before Felix. And you notice that the elders from Jerusalem brought a lawyer named Tertullus. And they brought their charges Against Paul, here's their here, and so he flatters the king, the governor, with all you're such a wonderful man. You've been to verse five. We have found this man to be a troublemaker, stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world. He is a ringleader of the Nazarene sect. He even tried to desecrate the temple. So we seized him, and by examining him yourself, you will be able to learn the truth about all these charges we are bringing against him. And they go on with their accusations. And the Apostle Paul, 
finally responds to them. And, and, and Paul shares his case that, of course, that this is not true. And he says, the reason I'm here is because I proclaim the resurrection of the dead. And I'm on trial for that today. And Felix says, when the commander comes, in verse 22, I will decide your case. And he ordered the centurion to keep Paul under guard, but to give him freedom. Permit his friends to take care of his needs. Later on, um, it says that, it tells us that Felix with his wife, Drusella, who was Jewish, they came to see him and they listened to him. You'll notice in verse 25, it says, as Paul discoursed on things that they don't want to hear about, this, this guy, according to Josephus, was, was not a nice man. He was a very bad man. He was not a good ruler. And there was a scandal about different things and about his wives and so on. And he, and he says, he came and, and Paul preached to him about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. And he says, okay, stop. We've heard enough. Okay. Uh, you can stop now. And because of that, he would come to hear him. But notice verse 27. When two years passed, Felix is succeeded by Portius Festus. Two years. Paul, Paul is at the pinnacle of his evangelistic ministry. He has planted churches all over the Mediterranean world. He wants to go to Rome. He wants to go to Spain, the far end of the Roman world. Churches need him. They need his ministry. They need, he's set up elders. He's writing letters. He is, he is the key person, frankly, in God's ministry to the Gentile world at this point. And this, he needs to be out serving. And for two years, he languishes in this beautiful place on the Mediterranean coast with nothing to do. And he's not even on trial. The Romans don't know why they're holding him. They have no reason to, 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 to hold him, but, they, but, but Felix does not want to deal with it. And so he just lets him stay there. And Paul spends two years until Festus comes to power. And when Festus comes to power, his enemies in Jerusalem know they have an opportunity. And you'll notice in verse 2, the chief priests, the Jewish leaders of chapter 25, appeared before him. And they presented charges against Paul. They urgently requested him as a favor to them to have Paul taken to Jerusalem where they were preparing an ambush to kill him. And so we have another trial. And Festus goes to Jerusalem. He spends time with them. And he says, let your leaders come down here to to Caesarea, to my court, and we will hear the trial there. He spent, notice in verse 6, 10 days with them. And they come down to Caesarea. And they ordered, after two years, all of a sudden they ordered Paul out of prison to bring him before them. And when Paul appeared, those who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many serious charges against them, which they could not prove. Listen, friends, everything that's happened here so far is, according to Roman law, a sham. Uh, Roman law has greatly influenced Western law even to our, our legal system today. The Roman legal system, while not perfect, um, was, was very developed. And citizens had very important rights. And it's impacted the, the legal system of even our country today. Everything about this is a sham. I mean, if you were to read through this, and take some time to read through this, his trial, his trial before, before them. First of all, if you were on trial, how would you feel about the judge spending 10 days at 
Wapatool and Lake Chelan with your accusers. And then coming back, right? Um, and say, okay, we're going to have a fair trial now. Ephesus has been with these guys for 10 days in Jerusalem. And said, okay, you guys come back with me and we'll have a fair trial. Okay, does that sound very fair to you? Is this judge going to be impartial? There are multiple accusers. Roman law says you have one accuser who stands before you with a lawyer and they can bring accusations. They gathered around Paul, a bunch of them, and began to accuse him together. It was completely against the law. Why after two years, after two years, without any opportunity to to hire a lawyer, which he easily could have done, is Paul whisked out of his place of imprisonment and brought before with no lawyer, no preparation. It's a complete sham according to Roman law. But he but he answers them. And you notice that as they begin their accusations, when Paul answers them, he points out right away in verse 9, in verse 8, Paul made his defense. I have done nothing wrong against the law, the Jews, or against the temple, or against Caesar. And he told Felix earlier, if they have something against me, then they should come, those who saw it, should come and accuse me. There were no witnesses. Everything about this is a complete sham. And the, and the, and the, and the accusations against Paul, he is upsetting the Jewish world. He has desecrated the temple, and the Romans did give the Jews the right to control the temple and to and to prosecute. They did give them the right to prosecute those who desecrated the temple under their own law, even up to blasphemy um, and request death, as they did with Jesus. They gave him that right. They accused him of desecrating the temple because they said he brought a Gentile, which he did not. The book of Acts clearly lays it out. He did not bring a Gentile in. They thought he was, but he wasn't. No one asked. And he was not doing anything against the Roman government. And, his, so, and so Paul's defense, that he comes and by himself, and he says, There's, I've made no offense against Judaism. I have made no offense against the temple. I have made no offense against Rome or Caesar. Festus asks him, would you, would you please go back to Jerusalem and stand trial under their court? Would you go back? And look, look at Paul's response. We'll go back to verse 9. Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and stand trial before me on these charges? Paul answered, I am now standing before Caesar's court, where I ought to be tried. I have not done anything wrong to the Jews, as you yourself know very well. If, however, if I am guilty of doing anything deserving death, I do not refuse to die. But if the charges brought against me by these Jews are not true, no one has the right to hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. And after Festus had conferred with his counsel, he declared, You have appealed to Caesar. To Caesar you shall go. And everybody is glad to get rid of Paul and send him to Rome. Paul was a Roman citizen. He had the right to appeal to the emperor of Rome. He had that right, and he did it. He took advantage of his rights as a citizen, and he went to Rome. It takes a long time to get there, and he will spend another two years, this time in prison in Rome, again under house arrest. Almost five years of Paul's life at the pinnacle, when he should have been out, building and planting churches as the apostle to the Gentile world for almost five years. Paul is under 
arrest, and nobody really knows why they're holding him. Why did God do that? Well, that's a whole other sermon, a whole other message. Why did God do that? All I can say this, some of the epistles that have literally changed the world were written during this time. Paul continued to receive revelation from God. People came and went. Churches were encouraged. Letters were sent out. The prison epistles that are so valuable and so important were written during this time. Well, to finish the story in the book of Acts, before he goes, King Festus has to write something to the emperor. You know, you don't just send a prisoner to the emperor to Nero or the emperor of Rome and say, sorry, you deal with it. You know, you don't do that. You have to have some charges against him. And so the new uh, Herod relative comes down, you know, and that's Agrippa. You can read the rest of this on yourself. And, and Festus says, I don't have anything to write. Agrippa, so what I want to, I want you to come and sit here in that court where I showed you that courtyard, and I want you to help me write these charges. And he brings down his wife, another scandalous marriage, and they come and they listen, and finally Paul gets permission, he speaks, and it, it ends up, this, the story ends up where Paul gives his testimony, and he gets to the point at the end of his story. And you notice in verse 20, chapter 26, notice verse, I know we're covering a lot of ground, look at verse 23. He ends up, before he's cut off, that the Christ would suffer, and as the first to rise from the dead, would proclaim light to his own people and to the Gentiles. At this point, Festus, the governor who's in charge of this, interrupts him and says, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning has driven you mad. Your great learning has driven you mad. You quit, quit studying, quit reading. You've gone crazy. Why? He's talking about resurrection, and he's talking about extending this to the Gentile world. And that's it. It's all over. And at this point, um, you know, they said, Paul, and, and, and you notice Agrippa, verse 28, the other guy there from the, from up north says, you, do you think you could teach, turn me into a Christian in such a short time? And Paul says, I would want all of you to become Christians and be like me. So listen, friends, all that to say this. Why is Paul doing this? Why is Paul doing, you know, what did Jesus do? When, when Pilate, and that was the trial, that's, Jesus' trial was a sham too by Jewish law. Everything against Jesus' trial was, was a contrary to Jewish law. He had every right, to, but he chose instead to say nothing and go to the cross. Paul's case, everything about this is a sham, and he calls upon his rights as a citizen to go to Rome. And we think lived for several more years, was released, traveled, was rearrested, and this time condemned to death, as you read in 2 Timothy. Paul's citizenship was very important to him. It gave him right. We looked at two passages where it talks about his citizenship. It gave him a right to free travel. It gave him a right to protection by the Roman government. And it gave him right to a Roman trial. And Paul made use of all those freedoms. He made use of all those freedoms. And he even pushed it to the extreme by appealing you know, to the Supreme Court, if you will. You know, the Supreme Court decides, yes, we'll hear this case. Paul appeals to the emperor, the most powerful man on the face of the earth, to hear his cause and, and decide his case. Paul does this. Why? 
Well, in chapter 23, just before we started this whole story this morning, we read this. In the middle of all this, when he's just being arrested and people want to kill him, the Lord comes to him in a dream, in a vision, and says, Paul, take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, you must also testify in Rome. Don't be afraid, Paul. Paul was probably afraid. He was a human. This was not going well. He was trying to do everything right when he got to Jerusalem. And it ends up that everything's exploding. And and God says, Paul, don't be discouraged. You ever get discouraged? And and the Lord comes alongside and and encourages you for whatever reason. It's okay. Don't don't be discouraged. Appreciate what you said you shared this morning. When When that news comes, God's there to encourage. Don't be discouraged. You will testify about me in Rome. I need you to do that. And so Paul makes that choice to go to Rome. What was the one thing that Paul had to offer? What Paul had to offer to the Roman Empire was Jesus Christ. Listen, this was a this was a government that was that was did a lot of bad things, killed a lot of people, enslaved a lot of people. Uh, it's military. When it was on the loose, it was fine if you were a Roman citizen, but if you weren't a Roman citizen, you did not have those rights. The Jews in Palestine were about to find this out a few years later when when Titus's army came down and smashed what was left of Judaism and fully destroyed it and enslaved and raped and pillared and robbed and beat and everything else that they had no rights. There was a lot about this government that was not right and not good. But Paul had one thing to offer that government, and that was the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want to close with this this morning. You'll notice in your bulletin, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. What was Paul's mission? Why did he do this? Why did he want to go to Rome? Why did he put up with this? Why, did he, why didn't he get out of house arrest? He wanted to go to Rome. He was a citizen. He had that right. In Romans chapter 5, in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The Apostle Paul earlier had written this. This is the passage that says, If anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. All things have passed away. All things have become new. But I want you to notice, and that's verse 17. Verse 19, or verse 18, All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting men's sin against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you, we beg you, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, because God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. of God. As God's fellow workers, we urge you, chapter 6, not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the, day, in the time of my favor, I heard you. In my day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, Paul says, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. This is what mattered to Paul. He had one finely focused mission in life. Spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he made every use of his right as a citizen. His life didn't matter. 
But in his case, this is what Christ was called to the cross of Calvary. So he said nothing and let the sham trial go on. Paul's mission was to spread the gospel to the world. So he made use of his rights as citizens. He knew what he could and couldn't do, even appeal to Caesar. Why? Because his purpose, his focus in life was very singular. Spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is what he had to offer to his country, to his people, to fellow citizens and non-citizens. And so this morning, as we think about the 4th of July, we think about the the, the, the privileges. You know, we think about our freedoms. But what about the privilege and responsibility of living in a country where we have freedoms? And, and I know that there are times they feel infringed upon, and there's a lot of disharmony and disunity and different opinions, and, and, and we're all aware of that. This is not all new. We're all aware of this. But listen, friends, we as Christians have a singular purpose that is over everything. And that is to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ and the message of God's love for sinners. And that this is the day of salvation. What do we have to offer? What gift do we have on our country's birthday, July 4th, 2017? What gift do you bring? You go to a birthday party, you bring a gift. We're celebrating the birthday of our country. What gift do you have to bring? What do we have? We have the most important message and truth and gift that will bring greater change than any person, anything, any law, anything. The gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what Paul was about. And this is why, as a citizen of Rome, he made use of that. And even went to Caesar and stood in his court and brought his message of the love of God and of Jesus Christ. And that's our call this 4th of July, to follow in the steps of these people of faith who had that singular purpose. This is what we are about, friends. As a church, as families, as individuals, wherever you're from, wherever you live, whatever situation, and I know just in sharing this morning, we our people here live under completely different situations. But we have a singular thing that unites us, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's close our service. and We're going to sing a song that is fitting for 4th July because God has blessed us with the freedom we have to be his ambassadors and share that wonderful message. Amen. Hallelujah. We're a blessed people. Amen? Amen. All of us, no matter where we're from. You know, we are blessed in this land to think that you know our neighbors to the north has celebrated Canada Day, right? Independence Day, 150 years ago. And our neighbors to the south, a democratic nation as well, in Mexico, we are at peace at our borders. Uh, our nation is not, I, in my lifetime, I have never felt threatened in my land. Um, God has blessed us. God's been good. We take so much for granted. So many people around the world today are not in that situation. I mean, we were in Israel and think 20 miles away on the other side of the border, it's just been ravaged. Uh, God has been good to us, but God has called us to be responsible. What is the one thing, what can you do this week to make your community a better place? What can you do positive? You can complain, but what can you do positive this week to make your community a better place? And what if one person came to Christ because of the ministry God has given us and change that life. 
for eternity. Heavenly Father, we are a blessed people. We are humble people. And Lord, um, we are not a perfect people. We certainly understand that. But Lord, you have given us the privilege, not just the freedom, but the privilege and responsibility to gather, to teach, to teach our children, to share your word. And Lord, may nothing ever come before our first call to preach the gospel, be ambassadors for Christ, to share the love of God. And Lord, uh, we have neighbors and friends, maybe relatives that we will be with this week that don't have to agree with us in our politics, our tastes and culture. But Lord, they will spend eternity somewhere. That's what really matters. And may we offer the gospel of Jesus Christ, our sweet, sweet Savior, who we sung about this morning, who we have gathered in his name and claimed that we are to live our lives as he did, as servants of yours. We give our lives to you this week, and may we give the one gift that matters the most, the message of salvation. In Christ's name, we have gathered and we leave this place. Amen.